This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. Let me tell you a little bit about Parent Footprint. Our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we truly believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to do the same, to seek our own happiness, health, engagement, and of course, awareness. We believe that awareness is the foundation of your personal vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Shifting Boys' Behavior Through Connection. I am very pleased to introduce you to our guest, Tasha Shore who is a parent coach, speaker, and co-author with hand-in-hand parent founder Patty Whiffler of Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges, which we'll be talking about today. Tasha is a mom to three boys and an advocate for boys and their families worldwide. She's committed to creating lasting change in families and in the world by supporting parents to care for themselves, connect with their boys deeply, set limits lovingly, and play wildly. Tasha has a bachelor's in women's studies and language studies from UC Santa Cruz and a master's in applied linguistics from UCLA, and she is a certified teacher and trainer of of instructors in parenting by connection. Tasha, good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Dan. I'm really, really excited to be here. So we've been planning this for a while, and it's actually happening, and I, I know of your story because I've read about your story, but... It'll be way better if you tell all of us about your story, how you came to do this work and this become your mission. Yeah. So the the boys bit came later. I mean, the bit about getting into parenting, I mean, as, as it's funny for you to, to hear you actually read my degrees in, in things that have nothing to do, seemingly nothing to do with <laughs> what I do now. I'm like, oh, yes, yeah. my, my women's studies and my linguistics and my language studies and all these things I haven't thought about in a long time. Actually, I do use them. But essentially what happened is I think what happens to a lot of people, which is that life takes you on a journey that's unexpected. And um, while I was expecting my boys, I wasn't expecting it to be as hard as it was. And I got to a point where things got hard enough that I wanted to seek out help. And I ended up finding a support group that was led by Patty Whitfler, who is my co-author on this book, right? Um, and this is just sort of serendipity. I don't know what you want to call it. But anyway, it was very close to where I lived. I mean, on this entire planet, how, how 
like how that happened, I don't know. But I ended up going to a support group with her and that she led. And um, it just rocked my world. Like I, 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 we used to hide out essentially. It felt like that because it was like in this back office behind somebody's house. And we would, there was like a group of maybe five to 10 of us. And every other week we would, you know, park on the street and we would sneak down the side of the house quietly and <laughs> squeeze into this little small room and have this support group and just amazing things happen there. I felt for the first time that I wasn't judged, that I could just be all of who I was in my glory and in my, you know, mess. And um, I also was able to learn from Patty these amazing tools that allowed me to shift the way that I parented and also shift the way that I cared for myself as a parent. So it just got to the point where I felt like I was able to turn my life around in such an amazing way that I felt like I had to help other parents do the same thing. And then the boys bit came later, and I think we're going to talk about that. So I'll probably save that. Yes, it's and it's it's all related and connected, of course. Okay, so first things first. Um, why focus on boys? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is probably best you know, it's probably probably easier for me to explain why I, I focused on boys by telling a story. And what happened was that one day I was sitting, kind of glancing over the newspaper. Um, don't worry, for those of you who have very young kids, my kids were a little bit older at this point. <laughs> so I could actually sit after they went to school and like with a cup of tea and look at the newspaper for five seconds. Um, but what I noticed was that you know, the world was in a tight spot. Like there was just a lot of bad happening. I just, as I scanned, there were, there was literally, it was school shootings, rapes, murders. I mean, you know, terror attacks. It was just one thing after the next. And they were all, at least that day, and mostly, they were all um, at the hands of men. And I thought to myself, what is going on here? You know, I'm raising three young boys and look at the newspaper. Look what's happening. They're growing up. A lot of, you know, these men, not all men, obviously, but 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 the people who are, are perpetrating this violence are mostly men. What is going on? And I had this aha moment that every one of these men, whether or not they had just like blown themselves up or shot 12 kids or whatever they had done, like every single one of them was born just like this sweet little boy. Like what happened? Mm -hmm. And I suddenly had this idea that um, I really needed to go on a mission to connect parents of young boys with this amazing opportunity that we have to essentially um, allow them to grow into emotionally intelligent men. Like there are things that we can do that we don't have to like sit back and look at the paper and be hopeless and worry. Like my clients, like they come to me literally with like three-year-old kids, like they're worried. They already have them like locked up behind bars. Right. I'm like, your kid's three, right? I mean, but but they're worried. That's how worried we are. And so I just felt like I want to, I wanted to make the connection to parents and say like for parents and say like look we have an amazing opportunity. We can actually change the destiny. And I'm not naive. I'm not saying okay, you know, violence is going to end and 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 the way we parent is the only influence upon these people. This is you know it's not like we're going to end terror or or school shootings or anything like that. So, you know solely by by this. There there are obviously like laws and 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 societal shifts that need to happen as well but we do have amazing power as parents and i felt like i wanted to um shift that around i want my boys to grow up and not be reading that in the paper i want to be reading about like them i don't know creating cool inventions or following their passions or being amazing dads or i don't know doing cool things so what did you do then 
you know, like how, so it's like, uh, this is beautiful. Like how to backing out for these, raising these young, innocent people. What did you start to do to um, develop these skills and principles to, to raise these healthy boys? Yeah. So essentially what I did is I drew on my experience through these unrelated degrees, right? So I took, you know, the brain science bits from linguistics and I took the, well, when I was at UCLA, we, we taught um, undergraduate ESL courses. And so I had a lot of pedagogy courses and learning how to, how to coach parents and, or coach adults and teach parent uh, teach adults, sorry. Um, and so I took like those skills and then I went through the training program with hand in hand parenting and became an instructor and then a trainer of instructors. Um, and that was really, I mean, that was the education path. I'm not sure if that's what you meant by the question. Oh yeah. And then, it, mm -hmm. I mean, then these, these principles of course, um, show up in your book, right? So there's, there's so many good parenting books out there. Um, I've got shelves of them at in my office and at home and i know um all of my well-informed clients also have them and yet every book is a little different every book offers something else to integrate what what can you tell us about your book that makes it different because i know you have all of those parenting books as well exactly i do <laughs> um so there are a couple of things that I feel like are real breaths of fresh air in Listen. The first is that we really don't talk about controlling emotion. Like most parenting books are like how to, how to fix your kid and how do we control the big feelings or make them stop. And what we talk about is really harnessing the power of those emotions to create change. Hmm if that makes sense. So, so we look at the emotional release process as a tool for discipline, really. All right. So that's, tell that's, us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that I, or, or keep going, but I, we definitely need to dive deeper about what that looks like, but go, you can go big picture first. Okay. So, so big picture, I guess the other thing that I want to say about the book that I feel like is really unique is that, you know, we support parents. Well, there's two other things that I want to say. So one is that we support parents, and, and this is sort of a part A and get part B, I guess. So one is that one of the five tools, it's right, it's listen, five simple tools. So, so one of the tools is a tool called listening partnerships. And this is a tool that we teach parents by which they can support one another in this very important work of parenting. And what most parenting books do is suggest that you do a lot of things, but don't kind of take take that step back and go like, oh my God, like I do with my clients. I go, I could tell you 29 things that you could do in this situation, but if you're totally triggered in that moment, you're not going to be able to do any one of them, right? right. It's right. like your, your parent footprint, right? Mm -hmm. So what we do is we offer actually a tool that helps parents um, figure out what their parent footprint is really and, and heal from their own wounds so that they can parent in a way that they feel proud of and, you know, different from way that they were parented if they're wanting to do that differently. Um, and then the part B of that in, in the We Support Parents is that we really lay out, and Patty wrote this chapter, I just love it at the beginning, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's essentially um, looking at parenting as work. And mm -hmm. what it does is it actually takes the blame off of us as parents. And so many of us walk around feeling guilty. Like, why are we having such a hard time? Why are we struggling so much? But in fact, we case this in um, 
a bigger framework of, of society. And when I say society, I don't just mean American society where you and I are right now, but I have clients all over the world and it's the same thing. It's like society isn't set up to support parenting as work. It's still a given that you just like do it. It's by the way, it's like treated like a hobby. Um, there's no training. It's, it, it's really um, not given the attention that it needs. I mean, you know, if, if in a, in a world where parenting were supported and valued, uh, a parent, for example, wouldn't have to make a decision about staying or choose between, let's say, staying home with a sick child or losing their job. Right. I mean, it's, you right. know, it's like, okay, th- this isn't right here. If a child's sick, then we should be in a society where a parent is able to stay home and care for that child. That seems important. They shouldn't be at risk of losing their job or getting a bad review or something like that. So those are the ways I feel like our book differs. Um, aside from the fact that the tools really are, there are only five of them and they're really simple and essentially they're all just different ways of listening. Mm-hmm. That's the and, title. <laughs> yes, and it, it, it's, it's simple and grabs, right? Because we don't often listen, at, well, I think that's fair to say. I think often when we're parenting, it's like a thing. It's an ing. And listening is that passive thing that I think we all can really do more of with our kids. Uh, Yeah, less is more for sure. Right. I think a lot of the time. So harnessing the power of emotions for change. Right. Because you're right. We're like, oh, no, meltdown, emotion. Like, how do we stop this? How do we divert this? How do we squelch it? How do we overpower it? But no, that's not what you're talking about. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, So I can talk about just some examples maybe of how um, how you can really use just listening to, to discipline and discipline is really like teaching, right? We want to teach our kids. We want to teach them um, emotional intelligence, right? We want to teach them flexibility. We want, we want we want them to be able to function as adults in the world and and not just function but thrive. We want them to be able to not um, you know let fear hold them back. For example, we want them to be able to go after their dreams and to be respectful in that, not trample upon others while they're doing that. So these are all things that we want for them. So so what does that look like in in you know in the life of a parent of a young boy? <laughs> so let's let's just take an example. So let's say I don't know you've got a three year old who um, and it's dinner time and you made spaghetti. Okay, you made spaghetti and meatballs. And there's sauce and meatballs and you, you, you make the spaghetti and you make the sauce and you pour the sauce on the spaghetti and you mix it all together and you serve it and you guys sit down to dinner and your kid, your three-year-old just, you know, totally flips out. I don't want sauce on my spaghetti. I hate sauce. <laughs> right. And he's flailing and he's crying and he's having a big upset about it. And there, you know, we always have, an op- you know, uh, uh, options in these moments, right? It, you could say, and I always like to take, say to parents, you know, I want you to sort of take stock of where you are in this moment. Are you at a place where you can patiently listen? Or would it be easier to just offer some spaghetti without some sauce and take the, you know, look, the opportunity to listen will present itself again soon. <laughs> you haven't lost the opportunity, right. right? So you want to take stock of what's going on with you for sure as a parent. But let's just say that you're in good shape and there's no more spaghetti without the sauce because you've poured it on. So where does the opportunity come in? The opportunity comes in with actually just moving in close using a tool we call stay listening. This is rocket science here, right? Stay listening. You stay and you listen. 
It's mm-hmm. a little bit more complicated than that, but not <laughs> yeah. much. Okay, mm-hmm. So um, you would move in close to that child and rather than try to fix it or make a separate meal or convince them that they should like it or that it's okay or anything else or that they should be quiet, you can just move in close and listen, get down to their level, preferably even below eye level. You might put a hand on them. You might not if they don't want to be touched. You don't need to be forcing yourself upon them for sure. Um, And you just listen. You don't have to say anything at all. And when people are new to this practice, I actually suggest that they don't say anything because most of us are so good at like blah, 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 blah. And it's mostly just for us, not for them. It doesn't really help the healing process. But what happens is this amazing thing. If you can just move in close and listen is that he will cry and cry and cry and tell you how he hates you and how he hates spaghetti and he's not going to eat it and everything, you know, whatever, 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 on and on and on. And he'll cry and he'll shake and he'll kick or whatever. And as you just keep them safe and keep everyone safe and, and probably after not very long, um, he will calm down. And you know, you know that you can have that image. I think most of us as parents have that image where after a big cry, your child will take that big kind of shaky breath. You know, that yep. uh, kind of a shaky breath thing and calm. And, and, and when that happens, after that happens, what you see is that he will sit down and eat the spaghetti. And I see this happen over and over and over and over again. And so when I say, um, you know, harnessing the power of emotions to shift behaviors, this is what it can look like. Right here's a kid. He, you know, he hates spaghetti, and he won't. And this is—it's not about—is it true or it's not true? It's not about, you know, changing the dinner or making more work. All you have to do is—is actually—it's easier than you think. You don't have to do all those things of trying to fix it, which is so much work. Instead, if you just move in and listen, like the body will naturally move through its resistance and its upset, and the upset probably had nothing to do with the spaghetti in the first place, right? And then he moves through it, and then he can just eat. And there you, you, you move on. So that's an example of how you could just do less. You could just listen. And five minutes later, you're sitting at the dinner table rather than what most of us, us do, which is we start, you know, saying, you know, if you're going to cry, you need to go, you know, in the other room or, you know, come on, like, you know, you like this. And we start negotiating with them. And then we get into an argument and we get more and more upset and dinner blows up. And right. Everyone's in a right. bad mood and it takes an We all hour. know how that, yeah, <laughs> we all have, uh, we all know that one real well. Um, exactly. So here's, so I'm going to represent the critics out there. Um, Please do. So how, if you do that and you listen Mm-hmm. Um, then aren't you just allowing the behavior and telling them it's okay to act like that? And how do you let them know it's not okay? Oh, Dr. Dan, I love this question. <laughs> I've never heard yeah. that one before. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is what I say to parents. If let's say, let's take another example. Cause I get this a lot, like with siblings that are fighting, right? One kid's like the particular, uh, aggressor or or more more of the aggressor and the other is more of the quote unquote victim right there the one child's hitting the other one okay how do i you know if i just you know hold them back and 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 don't punish them for it how are they going to know you know that it's not okay to hit their brother right so right. i say dear parent if i were to ask you right now do you think you know johnny thinks it's okay to hit his brother that parent will tell me no. Never, ever, in all the parents that I ever worked with, has anybody said, no, my kid thinks it's okay to hit hit his brother or throw the fork or, you know, call me 
words that I won't say on your podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So parent, they know it. Kids are smart. They, they do know right from wrong. So that really isn't an issue. <laughs> um, we don't, that's really more for us. And it has to do, I feel more with um, our embarrassment and our shame that comes up for us when our kids behave in ways that aren't sort of accepted by society. So I feel like that's like a different issue. I don't feel like we need to teach kids in that way. Um, we are not by listening to them teaching them that it's okay to have a tantrum about spaghetti because what you will notice is if you do that a few times, um, the more that you listen, the more flexible that child becomes about what they eat for dinner. So the reality on the ground of what I see over and over again just doesn't support that fear. That's a fear. And the reality just doesn't support it. The more you listen, the more flexible kids become, whether it be about food or anything else. So how about, uh, given that we are both raising teenagers and we know that the um, the challenges just change from are those young kids to these older older people, uh-huh. what, how, can you give us an example um, from a teenager perspective about harnessing the power of emotions to shift behavior? Oh, this is so interesting. Okay. I don't, I don't work with teenagers at all. I only have my own. So this is all like personal stuff. I work with parents with young kids, but um, yeah, I mean, I use it all the time in my family. So let's think. I'm sure you do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So let's think of an example. So one will uh, have to do with cell phone rules, let's say. Oh, there's one. There's a universal one for all of us parents. Yes. Right. So in our house, Um, cell phones aren't allowed in the bedroom. Okay. They're not allowed. They stay in, they stay downstairs. They don't go upstairs in bedrooms. Um, and our teenagers don't like that rule (laughs) and generally they're respectful of it, but sometimes not. And recently we had an issue where no, like one of my kids had his phone in there and it was in there all night and I was not cool with it. So I, brought that limit. You know, the next day I said, Hey, that's not cool. Like we've got a house rule. We all respect it. And the phone needs to stay downstairs. And he essentially had what is the equivalent of the three-year-old spaghetti tantrum, but you know, a teenage tantrum, it just looks different. It's louder and bigger and stuff, but, um, essentially it's the same thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and I just listened and did not the same thing I would, I would coach a parent of a young child to do. I didn't engage in a negotiation about it in that moment because what's happening in the brain at that time is that he's flipped his lid right like he his his prefrontal cortex where where all his abilities to think and plan and cooperate and 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 all those all the yummy things we like right there was nowhere to be found there was no teachable moment there and i knew that so rather than going down that rabbit hole i just listened you know and i just said every once in a while like i get it you know, I hear you want it up there, but there are no phones in your room. Hmm. But that's not fair. Nobody else has that rule. Every single person I know, like that is the stupidest rule. You guys are so strict. You know, the whole thing. And <laughs> yeah. I just, and I just listened and I just listened. And, you know, occasionally I'd slip and I'd go like, really? Like, we're that strict? And he's like, nobody else has that rule. And I go, okay, wait, wait, that was just for me, right? Not for me. But it's just listening. And then what happened is that the next day, you know, he came down and he said, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I get it. Um, But you know what? Like, can we talk about this rule? Because 
I get it on the weekend, on the weekdays where I have a hard time getting off it and then I'm up super late and then it's hard to get up for school. I get that. But like on the weekends, can we talk about if I can have it up there on the weekends? And then it's like, oh, yeah, we can talk about that. Let's talk right. about that. Let's That's figure reasonable. out what makes sense. That's reasonable. Like, yeah, let's think about and – and then he could ask me reasonable questions. He could say, well, why is it that you don't want it up there? What are the reasons – and we could have a conversation. Well, if that's your reason, then maybe we can shift the rules. So, but, but my point is that that conversation happened later, in this case, the next day. You can't have that conversation, um, the ones that we're trying to have in the heat of the moment. Those aren't meant to happen in the heat of the moment because our brain is in no place to have them. They, they're, they're, it's set up to fail because it's just running on emotion. That's a great example. And I mean, that this discussion is in my office every hour, I mean, several times a day, uh, professionally, and it's in our home uh, with my wife on a regular basis as well. So again, what you're bringing this back to is you're not punishing, you're not yelling, you're not running out and changing something. You're starting with listening and actually respecting the person's natural human reaction to disappointment or upset. That's right. Yes. And this is really important. I'm really glad that you said this because this is the like this is the bit about boys that I feel like is really, really important. We start shutting down their emotions from such an early age, right? They're left with anger. It's like, great. Well, no wonder they're like shooting up and whatever, you know, getting in fights and doing all these things. I mean, we haven't left any room for them to feel that that big rainbow of emotions that we do let our girls feel still. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, for example, mm -hmm. there was a one time when one of my kids who was playing soccer and he got cleated. I mean, that hurts. Cleats hurt. Right. And, um, and he started crying and, you know, it's just sort of an immediate reaction. And like, that's what your body does. It wants to heal. That's how our body heals from hurt. And his coach essentially said to him that he needed to get it together um, or he wouldn't be able to play the next game. Well, I had yeah. to talk with that coach. But right. because if you think about it, like, and I had to talk when I mean that in the friendliest of ways, I love mm -hmm. that coach. And I say that in the, you know, like he was doing what just what we do. Like, it's what he knows. It's like what he grew up with. It's not because he's a bad person at all. He's awesome. But he needed some education. He didn't know because a girl, he would have just patted on the back and say, hey, you know, sit down for a few minutes and then like come back in when you're feeling better or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But but no, like it's it's scary for us to see our boys emote. We still see it as weakness. Um, and I said to that coach, you know what, if you had just like let him have like the 30 seconds to just cry and release that stress, he would be back on the field way faster than what just happened. Right. Like he could get back up, but like he just needed to have that release. So yeah, we yeah. want to, from a very young age, stop to stop shutting down these feelings. We get scared. And I think I think we get scared for different reasons. And I see this in working. I work with a lot of dads and a lot of moms. And I see that it oftentimes plays out in a stereotypical kind of way. For a lot of moms, there's a lot of fear that comes up, especially when their boys are struggling with like bigger aggressive behaviors. Because many of us, even most of us, as we know from the Me Too movement, uh, most of us women like have violence in our past that was perpetrated by men, right? Mm, so, right. so we are triggered in those moments, especially as our boys get bigger. But it's often even disproportionate. Like I have, you know, moms will say, "Well, but he, you know, he's he's four, but he's really big," <laughs> and right. I'm like, 
Right. And I'm like, you know what? Like that's fear because you're 35 or 40 and, and, and you're bigger and we can help him through this, but not if you're terrified of him. Right. Well, and this, and, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and this now, brings so, me, sorry, go, no, finish up. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say one thing about, about that I see in dads and then I'll, I'll stop blah, blah, blah. But cause one thing I see in dads is, and, and I totally get is that I think that sometimes it, what happens for them is they feel like if they let their son emote in this way in public, that they're going to be shamed in ways that they were. In other words, they learned that there are repercussions to showing emotion, especially the ones that are labeled feminine emotions in public. So they are protective. and, And I totally get that. They are protective. They don't want their boys to be vulnerable in that way. Well, so so thank you for saying that, um, and I'm glad I didn't cut you off before you said that because it it, it totally it connects to this next question, which um, is in your book, is in your philosophy, and totally aligned, as you know, with Parent Footprint um, in knowing ourselves and what we're bringing to this this business, this work of parenting. And so, you know, you talk about how healing from one's own wounds. And so say a little bit about, please tell us, like, how do we get in touch with where we came from and how that's impacted us so we can parent in a way that's healthiest for our kids? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the tools that we teach in the book is called Listening Partnerships. And essentially what it is, is creating a situation that's like a stay listening situation. Remember I talked earlier about with, with the spaghetti. So we'll just like stay and we'll listen to him. So what we do is we help parents set up dyads where they listen to one another. And as you get better at it, you can be more strategic, but essentially it's a safe space for us to explore our triggers um, and our histories. And so what it could look like would be, um, let me just think of an example because it's easier to understand through like a story. Um, so let's well, let's just keep going with the spaghetti thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's say the spaghetti situation didn't play out the way that I suggested, but instead went the way it usually goes, which is that you know I went and I made something else, and I was really annoyed, and I was sort of like slamming the pot down as I was boiling new spaghetti without sauce, and I was feeling resentful, and my kid's going to be spoiled brat, and all these things that were coming up for me. Um, and so afterwards I sort of pull myself together and think, okay, I, I was triggered in that moment. Like that was like not a very adult way to respond. Like I'd like to do it differently next time. I'm going to take this to my listening partnership. And the first thing that I would do, um, is I would probably just play out what happened and I would just rage about how I felt towards my child. Like I, and that might be like, you know, I, I just, I hate when he does that. It's like, you know, I do this meal, you know, he says he likes it. I make this because he likes it. And then the last second he changes his mind and whatever, but I get to vent, but in a safe space where I'm not hurting my child, right. Cause it's not mm-hmm. spewing out at him, but I have a person and their job is to just listen. So they're not giving me advice and they're not trying to make me feel better and whatnot. But they might guide me later on as they get more advanced with a question like, what would have happened when you were a kid if you had had a tantrum like that about a meal that you didn't want to eat, for example? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that then is kind of a guiding question that that might jettison me back to a place where 
I could work on an early hurt that is likely being triggered in that situation, right? So it might be that, um, you know, well, we, it might be that we didn't have enough food or it might mean, you know, who knows what it was. There are lots of like, we're all triggered in different ways. But my point is, is that in that situation, then I can go back and feel whatever feelings actually were the original feelings that are now getting triggered. Um, and as I heal from those and I might cry, I might rage, I might, I'm actually really moving through the emotions, not in a, not in a, um, acting kind of a way, but as they emerge, if they emerge and I'm, you know, this, this, for some people, emotions come really easily. And, you know, as you can guess for women, usually they're able to get to those emotions much more quickly than men are, but men also can and do learn to access them as well. And some men have fully access, full access to them in a really short amount of time. But we go back there and we work on the early hurts. And I'll just say, give you an analogy, which I think, I think speaks to people a lot. I think of it as like, if there's a stack of books, right? If there's sort of a stack of ways that we've been hurt in our lives that are stacked up like books. And then as we move through our days and we get triggered in different ways, like we can kind of like work on, we can take the top book and go like, oh gosh, I really felt triggered today when my kid didn't eat the spaghetti with the meatballs. Let me work on that issue. Okay, working on that, take that book off. And then like the next book is like, well, yesterday he got all annoyed because he wanted to wear his his vans, but they were wet because he'd been in the puddle the day before. So like he couldn't wear them and he had a whole, you know, whatever. I'm going to work on that one. (laughs) Um, And we pull it down or we work on our early hurts, which is that bottom book. And then we just like yank that bottom book out of the pile, out from underneath the pile and the rest of them fall, if that makes sense. So like we work on our early hurts and then we're not so triggered in the day to day. And it takes a lot of courage to take that book on the bottom. We all know. It takes a, a lot, lot of, courage. of courage. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of courage. But like the rewards are, I mean, amazing. The rewards are mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. So I know we're just scratching the surface here. And yet it is already time for the parent footprint moment question. Oh, my God. I uh, can't believe it. I have so many more things I, I want to say. No. So this will be part one. This okay. is part one. And we will do a part two. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Here it is. Parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. So the story that I want to share has to do with a time when we had to make a really hard decision about pulling our boys out of a school. And what happened you know, I won't go into the details, but what happened was that it became clear that the school wasn't able to see my one of my boys um, for who he was. They weren't able to see his goodness anymore. They could only see his struggles and like they had labeled him as those struggles. Mm-hmm. And um, it got to a point where we had to say goodbye. And the kids didn't want to leave the school and it was very hard. But I felt like I wanted to model integrity for my kids and I wanted to show them that they could and they deserve to be with people who would see their goodness always and allow them to make mistakes and help them grow from them. And, um, that, and to explain to them, I said to them, I remember saying this to them, I said, you know what? Imagine like there was like a clothing store that you really loved 
and you just like, you always wanted to buy your jeans there, let's just say. And you always went there and you, the, the best selection and the most awesome styles and everyone was wearing them. And then you found out that they like donated a percentage of their proceeds to, um, you know, a cause that you felt was a really, really bad cause, like a white supremacist cause or something like that, that was really against your values, something that was against your values. Okay. Um, what do you do? I feel like the right thing is to do is that I have to stop buying my jeans there because even though I love those jeans, I can't support that. And I was like, you know what? We need to be in a community that shares our values, that shares our values, that, that believes that everybody is good, that everybody is doing their best at all times. And that is our job as parents and educators to be able to um, find the way to help these kids through. And I want you guys to be in a place where people can see that. And that felt like um, to me, a real, a real parent footprint moment. Mm-hmm. And did they, how did they take that? You know, when the, once they processed that, yeah, I mean, it was a hard move. I mean, it was leaving our, it was a community that we had built over eight years. It was leaving us like really starting anew. It was scary. But, um, what I will, what I'll say is that at the end of the, the end of the following year where they were all in different schools, um, one of my boys came to me and said, that was the hardest and best year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that kind nice. of says it all. Nice. And it is it is really hard when we have to do what we believe is right for ourselves, for our family and for our kids. And we know it's going to be a hard thing to do. Right. Yes. I mean, to, so, yeah, kudos to you. Not an easy thing to do. Not very hard. It was a very hard. Yep. And there, there have been many, but um, I noticed that they bring us to better places always. So as hard yes. as they are, as long as we don't let fear drive us, we're doing well. Do not let fear drive us, everyone. Concluding remarks from our wise guest, Tasha Shore, who is the co-author of Listen, Five Simple Steps to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. Uh, Tasha, thanks so much for sharing, I think, the tip of the iceberg about raising healthy boys um, to go out in the world and do good and stay away from all the atrocities that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. We clearly have much more to talk about. Until we do that, please let everyone know where they can find all of your work. Yeah, you can find me on my website, which is TashaShore.com. That's probably the best way, best place to find me. Or you can find me on Facebook. That would be my social media of choice. Tasha Shore, your partner in Parenting Boys. Tasha is your partner. All right, Tasha, thanks so much. Um, we will be talking again soon, I know. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening to the show today. Um, take these words uh, from Tasha to heart. The number one word, listen. Listen to your kids. Listen to your boys. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. You can find our stuff there, our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, as well as the other podcasts with our wise guests and colleagues. Now, as you go on into the world, go on to your day, remember it is key to try to be the person you want your child to become. They're always watching. They're always listening. They're absorbing from us. Ask yourself the question I try to ask myself and live up to every day. What footprint do you want to leave?